Well, as we go into the Word of God here, let's um, uh, turn to Judges uh, chapter 8, but we'll also begin by praying too. Father, as we come before you now as a church, we want to ask that you would uh, send your Holy Spirit now into our hearts, our minds, to uh, hear these words. These are not just some made-up stories or uh, good things to hear. They're, they're true historical things that uh, you meant to be written down for us to apply in our lives today, this week, this month. And so, God, as we, we hear from this, this story, this true thing, uh, would you make it come alive to us? Father, we just also lift up our church to you. We lift up our, our, our body, uh, the people that uh, call Lighthouse their home. Uh, whether they be um, here or, or joining us online or, or even those that, you know, just illnesses or sicknesses or cancer that we have going on in our body right now, Lord, that you would bring healing and health and your presence to them. And Father, as we go into uh, the rest of our worship, even our progress potluck, Lord, would you just make that a time of unity and to give you glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll be in the book of Judges, chapter 8, starting in verse 22. And um, if you were here last week, we we were in this same chapter, chapter 8, telling the end of the story of the man Gideon. And today we're going to talk about Gideon's son. And it got me thinking a little bit about myself as a a father and as a dad. Now, I have three kids, Mitchell, Phoebe, and James. Uh, They're 11, 9, and 6. And you know if you are a parent or grandparent or aunt or uncle or work in kids' ministry with kids, that children over the years can be this constant source of joy and laughter in your life and frustration, right? Uh, sometimes they, they're just fun to be around and make you laugh and giggle. Other times um, they may act just like you in a frustrating kind of way, right? Or they may get on your nerves or, or whatever it is. Just last night, um, uh, my wife was talking to our kids who are growing, uh, you know, when they were babies, thinking back to how small and little they used to be that, you know, I would often, um, especially with our firstborn, kind of walk around with him on my arm, like his head here, pacifier held in the mouth by thumb, like, so I could also do other things while I'm, you know, whatever, cooking, preaching, uh, with a baby in hand. Um, I, I can't do that with Mitchell now. He's, he's way too big. I've tried. Or thinking back to, you know, when they were little and getting sick. Um, or just even this last week, we had, you know, two kids up in the night, one fever and other one throwing up and just, you know, kids. Or when they're growing and that first time they learn to say no to you. You love their talking but not saying no. Or now we're in a phase where uh, my oldest, Mitchell, he's, he just finished like his basketball season. And it's been fun to see him grow and kind of 
come into his own a little bit of skills and learning and being taller and uh, he is he is like this close to middle school and it scares me a lot right now. <laughs> um, I think about this question when I was a dad and as a parent of, you know, it's not really a question of will I mess my kids up in some way, but how will I mess them up? <laughs> uh, you know, as, as someone who has parents or has kids, that we all have things that uh, we are like our parents in or that frustrate us or things that maybe we have wounds or hurts from our parents, even from really good parents. Um, it's part of growing up and kind of finding yourself sometimes away from your parents. And it's only by God's good grace that we or our, our kids turn out to be okay, right? Well, we've been talking through the book of Judges this past month, and this book tells the story of different leaders in this in-between time where the people have been saved from Egypt. They were wandering in the desert for 40 years. They're going to a time of settled in a land and kingdoms and kings, but they're in this in-between time of, of Who's going to lead us? Uh, there's, there's no king. There's uh, who's it going to be? So this idea of leadership is really important. And today we're going to see this parent to child passing down of the torch in leadership. It doesn't happen very often in this book of Judges. But it's going to teach us some cautions, some things to think about maybe as a parent or as a leader or someone who works with kids as we see kind of this passing on the torch to somebody else in development or leadership, your job, parenting, whatever it is. So turn with me to Judges chapter 8 verse 22. We're going to hear about the end of Gideon's story and will introduce us to our next person we'll talk about, Abimelech. So the time before Abimelech, kind of Gideon's legacy that he leaves. So look with me at verse 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Now, we looked last week that Gideon is this mighty warrior, that's who God calls him, who helps defeat the, the Midianites, kind of save God's people, give them rest for 40 years. But he's constantly plagued by doubts and fears, and, and, and God is very careful to um, show him and the people that it's not by their hand that they are saved, but by God's hand. And so right away, we see here at the end of his life, uh, the people have come to him and said, you have saved us. Like, they didn't get it right. They didn't, they didn't say that God saved them. But Gideon, you saved us, so come and be our king. Come, come rule over us. And Gideon responds and says in verse 23, I will not rule over you. And catch this, my son will not rule over you, the Lord will rule over you. 
this is great. He starts off really good here. He says, nope, it's, it's not about me. It's not about my kids. I'm not going to be your king, your ruler. It is God only who will do it. God saved you. He will be the one. But this is where he gets kind of tripped up. I think maybe the power gets to his head. Maybe it's his doubts, his questions. I don't know what it is. But he tells them then, well, I'm not going to rule over you, but, but I would like you to give me all of your gold. Give me all of your earrings and your treasures, and I'll just, I'll make something for you. In verse 27, and Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city in Ophrah. This is a uh, kind of a, a breastplate that was worn by the priest to help people understand what God was saying to them. So he, he wants people to come to him in some way to ask of, of what God wants in their life. I won't rule over you, but I just want it to be very important in your life. Come to me for all your questions. And all Israel poured after it, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more. And the land had rest for 40 years in the days of Gideon. So there's this legacy that Gideon provides for the next generation. He refuses to rule over and kind of put himself or his son in the kingship. He does the right thing. Um, he correctly says, like, the Lord is your king. He is the ruler who has been leading you out of the desert. He's the one that's raising up these judges to help you out. But look at verse 29 then. Uh, Jerubbabel, that's another name for Gideon, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and, his name, and he called his name Abimelech. This is what we're going to talk about today. And verse 33 and on, as soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel returned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Barith their God. People Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. They did not show steadfast love to the family of Gideon. So he had this political legacy that he leaves for his son and the whole people of Israel. He's not going to rule. The Lord is going to do it. Um, but then he has 70-plus kids with wives and, and concubines, and they, they kind of end up ruling. Um, and the one that's named here, which we're going to see in chapter 9 and focus on, he names Abimelech. I'm probably going to mess up this in this sermon at some point and call him Abimelech. That's what I've always kind of read it as, because it's basically two Hebrew words just kind of put together for his name. Abi means my father, and Melech means king. So Gideon, who told everybody, like, I'm not going to rule over you. I'm not going to be your king. My son's not going to be your king. He named his son, my father is king. I mean, it would be like if I named, like, one of my kids the next pastor, you know, or I named one of my kids, like, billionaire, you will be a billionaire, or you know, like, name one of my kids, bankrupt. Like, you know, he's trying to somehow, like, speak into existence something with his son 
by naming him, my father is king. This is part of Abimelech's uh, upbringing. But then he also has this Gideon, this, this spiritual legacy that he's leaving on for his son. He makes this golden idol. He has many wives. I'm sure more than just this one concubine, it seems like. And, and just the whole nation then goes astray and turns away. They, they, they forget who God is. It says they do not remember him anymore. It's like they have this, this short-term memory. I, I was talking this morning to some people about the difference between dogs and, and cats. And it's always so fun with, with dogs. I, I grew up with, with a dog more than a cat. And dogs, it doesn't matter if you've been gone for 10 minutes or three days. They are always so happy to see you, right? They have this like weird memory thing where it's like, oh, you were gone for 10 whole minutes. I'm so happy to see you. We have this weird short-term memory thing with God that after 10 minutes or a few days or uh, six months or all, we just kind of tend to forget, to not remember, to put him to the side. So this is the beginning, the, the legacy that is left behind for our guy Abimelech today. And as we talk about the cycle in this whole book, there's this cycle of the people, they, they worship these other gods, they go to idolatry, and then they are oppressed, they're just kind of given up by God to other people, and, and then they finally cry out to God, and then he sends a, a, a savior, he sends a judge, he delivers them. The cycle is beginning again here. And one of our cautions, though, I want to point out five cautions to you with this whole story. One of our cautions, I think, in Abimelech's story is that our children will reap what we sow. There's this clear, terrible legacy that Gideon is leaving behind for not just Abimelech, but his 70 sons, his wives, his concubines, the whole city in some way, the nation of a legacy of he's sowing these things of what's going to happen and they will reap after that. There's unfortunately a lot of stories in the Bible of fathers or parents and kids and the kids turn away from God. Uh, there's many stories of, of you know, maybe a good um, religious leader, spiritual leader that, that is strong, and then the sons, the, the, the kids turn away after that. Um, you know, I think about like Samuel or, or David even, their kids turn away. Or even like, you know, the story that Jesus tells of the prodigal son. You have this dad who is faithful and the, the son and even the elder brother that turn away from, from him. My, my hope and goal and dream always as our church is that we would work together with parents, grandparents, to help you to leave a good legacy, to provide a spiritual heritage for your kids. It's always a little sad for me when I, when I do funerals. I always look for some, some characteristics of, of the person that was deceased from the family members. And it's always sad to me that the things that come to the surface are maybe just surface level. 
You know, they were very kind. They were funny. But I would so love if my legacy was somehow with my kids or, or with you that I had a love for Jesus and it was infectious. It, it passed on to the next faith. Ultimately, this should, I think, encourage us to trust in Jesus more. He, he is the better son that, that was given to us that did not turn away from the father. But it's a caution to us as we think about this story of Abimelech that, yeah, our children will reap what we sow. Well, let's kind of read on and see how Abimelech kind of rises to power and rises to kingship. Go to chapter 9 with me. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubel, that's Gideon, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, Hey, say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubel rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember also that I'm your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, he is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Berith, which was Abimelech, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the son of Jerubel, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubel, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together and all, and all Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. This is the first king that we have in the Bible ruling over God's people. And it's not a very good start to the first king, right? I mean, he, he has ambitions, he wants to rule, he convinces people, um, but he does it in this way where he kills all the rest of his brothers, leaving one left, and he becomes king. Now, these two things of all of them being killed by one stone and one being left will come up later. It's part of the irony that's in this whole story. But let's, let's kind of hear the whole story first. Verse 7. When it was told to Jotham, that's the one son who's left, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. And he tells this fable, this story. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, You come reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers 
God and men and go hold sway over the trees. Then all the trees said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. He begins with this parable to them to kind of warn them. It's, a, it's called a curse later on, basically. Um, and he uses these kind of familiar things in that time period of trees, of figs, of olive trees, of vines, and, and bramble even, to kind of help them to see what they've actually done. You know, he, he kind of uses these ones of, abundance and, and sweetness and cheering. But then finally, it's one of a bramble that's really just kind of this um, good-for-nothing bush-type thing that really just can do not much but, but burn. And he tells them in verse 16, Now, therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jerubel and his house and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day and killed his sons. Seventy men on one stone have made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem because he's your relative. If you then acted in good faith and integrity with Drubel and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. So, we have this story within a story here of this guy telling this fable. What does that have to do with this whole thing about cautions to us. Well, he uses these things, as I said, the fig, the vine, all these that are familiar, and he leaves off with this bramble and accuses them of not acting in integrity and faith. Well, I think the first thing, kind of caution for us from what Jotham is saying is that fighting and disunity can come from within. As I said, there's this usually this cycle that goes on in Judges where people sin and God gives them over to the Midianites, Amalekites. Somebody else comes in and fights against them. In this story, there's yeah idolatry. They go after Gideon's ephod, but there's no outside influence. It's just the people from within um, Abimelech from within starts to kind of cause trouble from within. And then, as you're going to see, nobody cries out to God. God never sends a deliverer. God didn't send Abimelech to be king. It's almost like he just kind of lets them go down this path so they can see what it's like. But this is a warning, a caution for us when we, we think about the church, when we think about community, that it's not just blaming outside the devil or outside 
political, whatever issues you want to look at that's outside of the church, that sometimes the worst fighting and disunity comes from within this very circle right here, the, the jealousy, the, the gossip that may come in to disrupt us and hurt us. James chapter 4 talks about this, says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder even. You, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. We have these inner things that go on between us that cause disunity. Whereas Paul encourages us in Ephesians 4, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, to bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because there's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. I think it's a warning to us, a caution to us to seek unity and to be careful of fighting from within and gossip and sin that may form. The third kind of caution I think we can see from this whole beginning of Abimelech coming to power and Jotham's kind of fable to him is that the character of a leader is crucial. Sure, there were, there were 70 sons of Gideon, more concubine sons, probably Abimelech was one of them. They had plenty of leaders at that time. And Abimelech was, um, he was cunning. He, he, he was smart. He, he went to his, his relatives and convinced them on, on the guise of, well, I'm your relative. He, he was ambitious. And ultimately, that's why they chose him. It, you know, it seemed right at the time to have just one person over 70 leading them. But I think as Jotham kind of points out in his fable that it's, it's not just about whoever says yes to leadership, sure, we'll, we'll choose them, but it's the character of that leader or the, the character of those who are choosing that leader. Abimelech, as we're going to see, is not a great guy. But all throughout the Bible, it looks at leaders. It looks at people who... God chooses that we probably wouldn't choose, but looks at the character of those leaders. You know, I often think as a, as a pastor, as an elder, these passages in in, in 1 Timothy and, and Titus that have these elder qualifications. Um, they're good for, for anybody to look at and say, do I, do I um, live up to those things? But mostly they're, they're character things to not be greedy or uh, to be able to teach, yes, but more character qualities and to, someone to emulate and to be like, to be a servant leader. So if you think about leadership, or we think about leadership of the church, the character of that leader is very important and crucial. Number four, we can learn, I think, from this kind of a warning, a caution for us also, is that if Jesus is not your, your king, life will be un livable. As I said, this is the first king in Israel. This is kind of a big deal because 
kingship has been talked about in Israel for some time. They're going to have a king soon. And God has been very clear with his people that I am your king. Now he does have David come up, right? Saul come up as king and David has a heart after God and that's part of why that is there to happen. But when we don't have a correct, a right, a better king in our life, this story of Abimelech is what happens. We have corrupt leaders, we have bad character leaders, we have people who, who just don't care about God. This is what life will be like. If Jesus is not your king, of you personally, of your entire family, of whatever, our church, life will be bad. It will be unlivable. And this is why Jesus is so important to us, that he has to be our true king in our life. When he came to live on this earth to do a different kind of kingship, not, you know, ruling over with an iron fist or coming in in chariots, that kind of thing, but to rule in our hearts, to rule in a future time, to think about how important that is, that Jesus is your true king right now. Well, the rest of this story is a story of really how Abimelech goes from king to nothing. It's about 30, 35 verses, and I think if I just read it to you, it might confuse you. Um, so I'm just going to kind of summarize it. But basically, he only rules for three years. A lot of these stories talk about in Judges, like for 40 years they did this. But this is only three, it's a short period of time. I think it's there to teach us something very important. But the leaders of Shechem, the leaders of Israel, they, they decide to kind of ambush Abimelech. They put men in the mountaintops to kind of uh, surround him, to capture him. And uh, there's some characters then that step up and uh, kind of begin to um, quarrel and talk about Abimelech and don't like him. One of the characters is called Gael. He is partying and, and drinking at one time. And uh, he's with the leaders and he's putting down Abimelech that he's not a great leader. Uh, we shouldn't follow him. We should do something else. And uh, another guy, Zebul, tells Abimelech this about Gael's drinking and partying and scheming. So Abimelech comes with his army and destroys the whole city. And it says he sowed the city with salt. He just destroys it. And the leaders escape. They hide in a tower. And Abimelech's so angry, he comes to the tower and burns it with fire. And then Abimelech goes to another city, goes to Thebes, where the people are also hiding in a strong tower, and he goes to attack that one. He goes to burn it again, and he goes up close, and it says a woman on top of the tower throws a large millstone down. It hits his head. He doesn't die, but he's embarrassed by being killed by a woman, so he has his armor bearer kill him instead. He dies, and it says that everybody goes home. 
This is the story, the end of this judge, this leader here. It's terrible. I mean, there's nothing good. It's just people fighting and killing each other and burning each other with fire and towers. But we do get this interesting little bit about God's involvement in this story. It's verse 23. It says, And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem, and the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. So we see this coming about, right? They just, they hate each other, they're at each other, they're killing each other. But God is involved in some way. He, he sends an evil spirit. Now what does this mean? This, I mean, God is not evil himself. God doesn't do evil things. I think he is allowing evil to happen in this world, an evil spirit, a demon, whatever it is, to come and take over in this town, this person's life, this leader's life, to do what Jotham said, that fire would come out from both sides to destroy each other. So God is involved here. He's allowing this to happen. There's evil spirits sent between them. And at the very end, also, at verse 56 and 57, God shows up again. It says, Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubel. So here's kind of the way I word it kind of for our last fifth caution. God will bring perfectly proportionate retribution. It's kind of the story of Abimelech and, and the leaders of Shechem and all that, that they, they got what they wanted. Abimelech rose to power as king by killing his brothers, and so he was killed himself. The leaders of Shechem went along with it and killed them, and so they were killed themselves. And so God turns back the evil on their own heads to punish, to bring retribution. This is what God does with evil. He doesn't let it flourish and go on forever, as the Bible tells us, but he will turn that evil back on its head. Which can be a scary thing for us, because we all know that there's evil in this world. There are things that we have done that we are ashamed of or um, don't want to be to know about. And so if God brings perfectly proportionate retribution on our own head, what does that mean for us or even in the next life? We, you know, this is a hard thing, but we talk about hell as a church. It's in the Bible. There's a place after you die uh, of retribution, of punishment, of, of pain. The hope of every story in Judges is that somebody else would come along. There'd be a better judge, a better king than Abimelech, a better savior to get us out of this cycle. This sets us up so well for what Jesus is going to be in our own life. Jesus doesn't get what he deserves. He's good. 
he's perfect. He did not do evil, but he went to the cross, a bloody, terrible punishment. In fact, the, the evil that should have come back around on us then gets curved back around on Jesus. That is the hope that Judges offers us every single chapter is that we need a better Savior and Jesus is that one. And so if you are a, a Christian today and you hear these warnings about God's retribution or, or a legacy or any of these things, put your trust once again in Jesus that he is the one, the only one that can make you a good character quality leader. He's the only one that can be a king in your life. If you're here and you're not a Christian, this is new to you, or you've never kind of made that next step to make him your true king, now is that time. Because the end is coming soon. I mean, whether it be the end times, whether it be the end of your life, there's no better time like now to say, Jesus, you are my king. I want to receive the the, the goodness and, and the grace that you've given to so many people and to have that retribution, that punishment that I should deserve and hell even come back around on you. Praise be to God that he offers that in Jesus in a better way, a better life than just some Abimelech trying to rule and trying to be our next king. Let's close by praying to our true king and thanking him. Father, we, we do come before you now and praise you and praise you for being our true King and Savior. God, there, there's no other. There's no one better. There's a lot of fake, a lot of not good kings and, and leaders and, I mean, things that try to rule over our heart. And Father, we just we confess to you now that there's been a lot of things that draw us away from you. Um, sin in our life, whether it be things we're tempted by, to look at, to um, dwell on in our thoughts, to act on and do things we say even. But God, your grace is so good, it is sufficient for us that you provide a better way. You provide uh, the way of Jesus to follow him, to receive his grace. And God, thank you that you turned our sins back on him. That we don't get what we deserve. We get what Jesus deserved. We get grace and life and heaven. Father, we pray for those, whether here or ones that we know, that, that are on a path toward hell, retribution that your grace would be so great and so good in their lives that they would turn to you even now. You would open them up by the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to know that there is nothing better. Father, we lift up this time to you in our worship. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.